following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Okay, so we had the kids up here. Did you see little Kai? Man, I'm telling you, he, uh, what a blessing uh, to see those guys uh, helping us to, to, to praise the Lord, showing us and leading us in that way. Um, the, uh, th- this last uh, year, VBS was uh, looking at the whole armor of God. And uh, as the Lord often does, uh, led us to the opportunity. Uh, this uh, Every summer we do a sermon series and we were led to do the whole armor of God this year. And uh, so this is the third week in the series. Uh, We're looking at Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, uh, grab those and open up to Ephesians 6. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17 specifically. I'm going to read the entire passage, 10 to 20, just for context. Um, But this this passage is so critical for us to understand and apply. Like when we understand what we've been given in Christ we understand that we are equipped for the battle. We are, we are ready um, for whatever we face if we are willing to put on and take up what we've already been given and allow the, the, the work, the power, the, the, uh, the wonder of all that Christ has purchased for us to be put into full effect in the victorious walk that he wants for us. Do you think that, I mean, we're told we're more than conquerors. We're told that that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Uh, We're told that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Now, doesn't that sound victorious? Doesn't that sound, uh, but, but it's, it's practical in its expression when, when we understand the, what we've been given in Christ. One of the things we were talking about in Get Ready this morning is, you know, the, the New Testament um, helps us to understand the significant work of the cross. Like we're told in, in the New Testament that, that, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Like So, so this spirit the Spirit of God that we're clothed with power to be His witnesses now resides, dwells in us. But then we're also told, and it's both and, we're also told that we are in Christ. And then we're told in Colossians 3.1 that we are now hidden in Christ with God the Father. So it's this all-encompassing, complete work of go, and this is what the cross accomplished for us is now we are wrapped up in the Trinity. We are, we are, we're sharing the, the wonder of, of his presence. And man, there's a song out there that we're singing these days. Uh, it comes up on Joy FM a lot. Like it's just, it, it captures this essence that like the enemy's not afraid of us, but he's terrified of him, right? And, and as we dwell in his presence, Right, as we submit ourselves to him and resist the devil, we can trust that what James 4, 7 says is that he will flee. Right? But, but what does it mean to resist the devil? What, how, what does that look like practically? And do you know that we're thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for that objective? It, 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 and everything that we talk about in the whole armor of God is, a, is an exercise of faith. It's an exercise, let me be very practical, of trusting the Lord in this moment, in this circumstance. And so let's, let's look at that, what James 4, 7 and 8 says. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. What, what does it mean to submit yourself to something? The Greek word literally means to put yourself under. It, 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 already, it denotes humility, right? But it, it, is, it is a posture of submission that says that, that I'm desperate for you. I'm, I'm in need of you for my provision, my protection. I put myself under you. It's, it's lordship, right? So it says, submit yourselves to God Resist the devil. Now, I think that these are, these, you know, we've got to first submit ourselves to God 
right? And then resist the devil, and we're promised that he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So we, we, tr- we truly understand that it's about proximity to him. And that, that, that it's, it's, it's our understanding, it's our dwelling with him, it's our abiding, making him our home that, that, uh, that, that puts us in a protective place. He guards us. He's our rock, our shelter, our ever-present help in time of need, our fortress. So the question I want to get at this morning is how do we resist the devil? And I, I go back to this text because I really believe it's answered in this passage that we've been pursuing Okay, so let me read it for us again so that we're familiar, um, and then we'll dive in. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then the question would beg, well, how do I do that? And here the answer comes, but put on the whole armor, not parts, not portions, Put it all on, put it on, that you may be able to stand against the schemes. Does the enemy have schemes, right? The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is where our battle, and we're equipped for this. Therefore, take up, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Stand, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying on all time, in, at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am in an ambassador in chains. Paul's writing this from prison, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So what I want to do as we, as we, as we get going here, very quickly, uh, for sake of review and context, I just want to just remind us that we, 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 uh, we, uh, we're, 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 we're a part of a living word a word that is comprehensive and yet it has all these different facets aiming at the same objective to equip us for the fight. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And right, and so if there, there are practical ways because we're called to take, to take up and put on, right? But the, the, this, is, this is an armor that we've been given. We, we, we have, we, we're, we're clothed in it. It's, ma- it's a matter of practically putting it into practice and putting it into life. Colossians 2, just to clarify some of this, Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, talking to the saint, talking to those that have been brought from death to life at the accomplished, finished work of the cross. Like this is what Jesus did for us. He brought us from death to life. We were dead in our, in our trespasses and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Now that has been cut off. We no longer are, are slaves to this, to this beckoning of, of destruction and, uh, and, and hatred and hurt and pain. We no longer, it's been cut off. We're no longer uh, captives to that. Right, It says, God made us alive together with him. God the Father made us alive together with Christ Jesus, having forgiven us. What does the word say? All our trespasses. Isn't that refreshing this morning? Just to be reminded that he took care of our sin, not in part, but in whole. That it is finished, paid in full. Like he satisfied our sin debt. Listen, it goes on to tell us this. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. And with its legal demands. And the legal demand was this. The wages of sin is, right? I mean, and so Jesus took our death. 
so that we could be liberated to life. I have come to set the captives free, he said. This he set aside. This is what the father did, nailing it to the cross. And please understand, in the context of what we're discussing this morning, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ Jesus. That's where you say, amen. You know, like, thank God, right? We could never win this fight, but he has fought the fight and won it for us. Now we walk the victory that's already been had, that's already been accomplished. And we do that by living out, please hear me, living out the word of God. It's not something we we know, it's something we practice and do. We're told that in James 1, 22 to 26, that we cannot just be hearers of the word only and so deceive ourselves. We've got to do what it says. We've got to live it out. We're told at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7 of Matthew, that if, if we build our house upon the rock, that we'll endure the storms and the trials and the adversities and the pains and, and difficulties of life. And, and the whole practical expression there that Jesus is saying, he says, all of you have heard my message this morning, or this afternoon probably, and... But he's saying the ones that are really going to endure the storms of life are the ones that put it into practice. Everybody's going to face storms. But the ones that take my word and live it, put it on. Is it tough to walk out God's word in the context of a fallen world that is at complete odds with truth? Is that difficult? Is that the hard, narrow path? Right? But, but this is where our victory is found, is when we literally put God's word into practice, we build our house upon the rock, right? So we're practicing God's word. And we, we live that by believing that he triumphed over them in his son, in Christ Jesus. That now the, he's disarmed, I love that, disarmed them, um, so in John 10, 10, we, we hear this as well. The thief comes, just so we have context here, it says only to steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy that is in a hateful posture that Revelation tells us that he doesn't want to go to this lake of fire by himself. I mean, clearly it tells us that he is trying to, and, and, and the wide road that leads to destruction, it says many are walking that, you know, totally deceived that there's a God who loves them, that didn't offer the circumstances they're in, but has come to rescue them from it by dying the penalty, taking the price so that he can do what he says here. This is Jesus declares his, his aim, his purpose, his, his mission. I came, Jesus says, that they, for context purposes, my sheep from John 10, those who put their trust in me, those who follow me, who look to me for provision and protection. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, abundantly, completely, thoroughly, fully. And 1 Peter, again, to give context to this message, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says, be sober-minded. What does that mean? Does that mean that we shouldn't be drunk in our mindset? Yes, but it goes on beyond. It means that we should think with clarity, with, with maturity and intention with, with, uh, with, with uh, biblical mindset. But then it goes on to say, and be watchful. Now, this will come up a lot uh, in our conversation this morning, but, but let's, let's remember that we're called to be in a watchful state. Why? Because it says right here, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. When a devil is prowling and roaring, that is a, that is a declaration of his hunting hunger insatiable, seeking anyone, someone to devour. And then we're told again, see what it says here? This is going to answer our initial question. It says, resist him. And what does it say? Firm in your faith. I said, how do we resist the devil? We stand in faith. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it in the one that is mighty and able to render us free. He's faithful in that. Seek someone, it says, seeking someone to devour, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. 
And then I go to 1 Corinthians because this partners, it's almost like it partners with the, the balance of this last verse. We go into 1 Corinthians 13. It says, look, everyone is suffering the same experience around the world. Here in 1 Corinthians 10, we're told no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. Is it good to know that you're not the only one that the enemy is after? That you're not the only one that's facing? And is it good to know that, that our, our Lord went before us and modeled for us the victory and how to resist? And it says God is faithful. That's the good news. No temptation has, uh, that, uh, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And listen to the promise there, here. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist, to endure, as the verse goes on to tell us. Do you know that God puts barriers and limits? Do you know that God provides a way out every single time? We're never trapped. We can never say the devil made me do it, right? Because God is faithful to provide a way out. Can you tell me what that way is? Right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He, he is the way. We, we, we run to him. We put our trust and faith in him. We allow him to be the one that uh, ran the race before us and showed us what it means to follow him. He set the example in almost everything that we can face and showed us how to walk it out. And so, yes, he is the way. And I love that it says, but with the temptation, he, God the Father, will provide also through his Holy Spirit the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, so important that we understand, flee from idolatry. Now, why would he say that? Because often temptation is related to the idols in our lives. The things that we have put more passion and purpose and intention and thought in rather than to him. When you have discretionary time, and discretionary money, how do you spend it? And so, you know, these, these idols that, are, that, that, that slowly creep into our lives are often the culprit of temptation. The enemy solicits in order to try to steal, kill, and destroy, to devour. And, uh, and we're told that God is faithful to always provide a way out. So we're told some things about the enemy uh, in the scriptures. Uh, we're told that he's a liar, he's a murderer, that he's been that from the, the beginning, uh, th that he's the God of this age, uh, he's an angel of light, uh, speaking of deception, and he's a lion and a serpent. Um, I don't think these are very positive connotations. Just saying. Um, so here's some passages that remind us that we're in a battle. Uh, as, as Paul talked to his protege, his heart here is that he's trying to equip Timothy for the battle. He's discipling him. And in two occasions, in chapter 2, verse 3 of 2 Timothy, he says this to Timothy. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, is, it, is it helpful for us to, to remember that we're in a battle? Right? That, that we're not on a, we're not on a, a party boat. We're on a, we're on a battleship. We're in... We're not on the playground, we're in a battlefield. Like, like it's important so that we're sober-minded, right? And we're watchful, right? Because um, that's critical. And he says, you know, sharing suffering as a good soldier does. A soldier has a different temperament and perspective than someone that is uh, going to Disney World versus going into a battle, right? It's not about the pleasure, it's about the purpose, and so later on in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Paul says, I have fought the good fight of what? He's referring to the fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So, I mean, Paul illustrates for us that, that we're in a battle. We're in a fight. Um, but acknowledging also in other parts of the scriptures that this battle has been fought and is, is being fought for us. Be still and know that I will fight for you. In Exodus 14, 14, we're told that. Now listen, I think this is fantastic commentary on what we're looking at today. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. This is, so, this is such practical um, 
information here. The weapons we fight with, what, what, what weapons are those? The very thing we're looking at in the whole armor of God, faith and righteousness, truth, right? The shoes of readiness to the gospel of peace, these things. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every, it says, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We'll talk more about this in a minute as we look at the helmet of salvation, but we we have to understand that we're gonna have, we're gonna be, um, we're gonna be given thoughts, stinking things. You ever have stinking thinking? You ever have doubt, fear, anxiety? You ever have things that are, that are foreign to um, trusting God and walking out uh, a faithful posture in the, in, the, in the current circumstances? You know, how do, we, how do we deal with that? We're challenged here to take every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ, to his, his word, his will, and his way. And uh, so that there's a filter here, right? There's a, the challenge is that we... What does it mean to take something captive, to hold hostage, to, to imprison, to, 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 to wrap it up in something that is binding, right? And, and what, we're, what, it, what we're told here is, is make it obedient to the word, right? Make it obedient to Christ. It's, it's, you know, really what it is, it's lordship in our thinking, right? It's, it's like, God, I'm going to let you reign and rule in every thought that I have, so that I'm taking it captive. I'm doing what you would have me to do as it relates to this moment. So our enemy has two allies, as we're told in this next passage. Um, the earthly paradigm, the, the, the patterns of this world, and our sinful nature are those two uh, allies. Like we have a nature that, that wants our way, wants our will, has desires that we're told in James 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, what causes quite quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your own desires that are at war within you? Right? And so we manifest uh, oftentimes the, you know, what's going on in our own hearts and lives in the relationships and contexts that we're in. And so the enemy will solicit that. Listen to what Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, because it helps us to understand this. And you, again, telling us the same beautiful principle that we are no longer dead but alive, that we are no longer separated from God, but we've been made close. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Isn't that, just, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that challenging? Isn't that, isn't that directive um, clear that we no longer walk? in the things that we used to walk in, um, now that we're alive in Christ. It says, uh, in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We no longer do that, because we're not dead, we're alive. We've, our eyes have been opened. We've been liberated from, from a destructive, wide path. The Spirit is now at work uh, speaking of that, that, the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so we see that our nature and the world have uh, our allies of what the enemy wants to, to, to do in our lives, but Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We know that we're given armor here, and when we understand what it is, now we're prepared to fight the good fight of faith. Now we're prepared to walk the narrow path. And it's narrow because we're given very clear and concise directives in how to walk in this life. So the big idea for this entire series is we are not fighting for victory, but from victory. We're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from it. So in Ephesians, uh, for our passage this morning, in Ephesians verses 13 to 17, uh, I'll remind us of 13 to 15. Uh, Fred did a marvelous job. I was reading through the notes last week and, and uh, again, and just, just really appreciated the practical terms in which this was unpacked. 
But it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. So our enemy is the father of lies. How critical is the, the truth that sets us free from those lies, that liberates us from deception. So fasten on. So surround your life with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and I, I want to say, especially as we go into communion today, you know, this, this, this righteousness that's been given to us by faith, our challenge is to live a confessional life, to really embrace the cross, not if we fail, but when we fail, when we make the mistakes that we're prone to, not that we're aiming to do, but that we, that we walk in confession so that we continue to, to live the righteous life that's been given to us by faith. So the enemy has nothing to accuse you of. Give him no room, we're told in the scriptures. Um, dwell is the, is the challenge. And so it goes on to tell us, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, that's the key word there. See, the most victorious Christian is a witnessing one because we're constantly being reminded of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Giving, giving the gospel of peace, Jesus has provided us. This, this is what we understand by what's being said there or here in verse 15, is that Jesus has provided the means of peace with God and of God. Right? That we might live in peace with others and be peacemakers, which is a part of the blessed life. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And so God has given us everything. This is what we're told. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. It's a matter of, of, of walking in the, the truths walking in the, in the promises, walking in, in what Jesus has purchased for us. We've been given so many gifts. Righteousness is a gift. Faith is a gift, right? It, it's ours to impart, but it's, it's a measure that's been imputed to us. And so we trust God. We hold our shield high. So this is a critical thought. And this is why we actually go to the Lord's table. And, it, and we do that as often as we do. Because it's kind of a way that we are reminded of how we stand and how we armor up is through the cross, through what the cross did for us, liberated us from, but also gave us as, as, uh, as equipped soldiers in the fight. So the verses we're looking at this morning is verses 16 and 17, and it says this, in all circumstances... Now, let's not go further than that before we understand how often we need to hold our shield up, right? It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That, there's every, do we need to walk out faith in every facet, circumstance of life? It's absolutely. And what does that mean practically? That means, okay, Lord, how do I trust you here? How do I put your word into practice here? Because we have a default, right? We can, we can easily go to anxiety and fear and doubt. The enemy is firing those darts all day long, right? But, but how do we put God's word into practice? And when I say God's word, I mean principles that tell us what we have because of what Christ accomplished. Does that make sense? Like we're told what we're, who we are and what we have, but are we walking in that identity, that reality, and in those resources? Does that make sense? Please, please. Like, it's so important that we understand like we can, we can, we can miss the victorious life. We can, we, can, we, can, we can be defeated. We can fall at times because we're not walking out God's word. We're not living out the promises as if they're our reality, and that's what faith declares. But it's not, just, it's not just a thought, and it's not just faith in anything. It's faith in him. It's faith in what he's done. It's faith in what he will do. It's faith in what he's given you. 
Do you believe this morning that you're an adopted child of the living God, the creator of the universe, simply because God loved you enough to send his son to die and to pay your sin debt? So you could be liberated to joyful obedience, but you could be, you could be given access into his presence. And it's in his presence that all the abundance of joy and other things are made available to us. And then our eyes are open, just like Paul. The scales are fallen, and we are, we are aware of who he is and whose we are and what we have in, uh, in the gift of Christ. Like, man, it's just... It's just not about like, okay, I'm saved and can I go do my thing? Like it's, it's about em, embracing and wearing, like wearing what it is that he has purchased for us. And, and when we do, by faith, like when we do, we, we, we extinguish. Listen to what it says here. In all circumstances, take all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Put faith out there in front of you with which promise you can, you can, you can, if you take up the shield of faith, extinguish how many, how many, all of all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's just, just camp out on these for just a moment. The shield of faith. Paul is, is telling his protege in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. <clears throat> we, we, we fight by trusting God and his word. Do you know that there, is, there are fighting words for every, every circumstance you'll face? And when you, when you use those, that's exactly what Jesus did with the enemy. How did he resist the, de- the devil in the, in, in, the, in the wilderness? Right? It is written. It is written. It is written. He... He literally spoke God's word and it's living and active, right? It fought, right? It resisted the enemy and it says, depart from me, right? But he left him for another opportune time, right? Verse 11 of Luke 4. And so, um, but I like what Isaiah 7, 9 says. It says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So, like, so critical that, I mean, do, do you trust him? Do, is, do, do you put your confidence? Because look, when, when, when we face circumstances in life that we're called to always have our shield up for, like, it's not going to be logical to do what God, if you lean on your own understanding, you're not going to do what faith beckons us to. He calls us to, to trust him. He called David to walk out uh, to a guy that was nine foot plus and tell him that you're going down because my God's bigger than you are. He called, the kids sang about it, hot, hot, hot. Like, like he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, no, we're not bowing down. That's, that's clearly what we're not called to do. But God will deliver us. And if he doesn't, we're still not going to do what you want us to do respectfully. And what did God do? They didn't even smell like smoke. Like he joined them in the fire and protected them. Right? Like, but they put their faith in action. Right? How often do we condescend to the fear of, oh, I mean, could they die? Could David die? I mean, like, right? But, but their faith was in God. And God did miraculous things because they trusted him and they trusted the promises of his word and they put them into, into practical purposes. So, our enemy looks for unguarded areas and moments in our life. Do you believe that? He left them for another opportune time, right? Like, I mean, he, he's, he's looking for the weaker vessel. He's looking for, we see all of these, these illustrations. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do you know that we, in our own desires and pursuits, can create the opportune times that the enemy wants? And here we're given the example of, of anger. Do you think that being angry, it says be angry. I mean, that can be, I mean, Jesus was, I mean, share God's righteous anger. But, but oftentimes it's, you know, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, we're told in James. 
And so here he says, do not let the sun put that to bed before you go to bed. Because that will continue to have a demonic, you're giving the enemy an opportunity. And, and we have potential to do that. And so how do we avoid that? By walking in his word. And here's a practical experience here, practical terms, right? Sin, be, be angry, but sin not. So don't let your anger lead to an angry response or action or the most devastating thing, words, right? Be angry, but sin not. Do not let the sun set on you. That's a way that we don't give the enemy an opportunity to do something painful and destructive in our lives and others. And remember what we talked about earlier, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. That's a posture. That's a, that's a mindset. That's a, that's a position. Remember Jesus in the, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told them, pray, pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. So that you don't what? Fall into temptation. There it is. And what did they do? They fell asleep on on the mission. Guys, are you watchful? Have you fallen asleep on the mission? Have you gotten caught up in civilian affairs? Have you forgotten that we're in a battle here? That, that we've got to be, we've got to be alert, right? Because he's not, he's not taking a break, but God is good. And he is faithful, he is mighty, and he is able. And we are fully equipped for this victorious walk. Fully equipped. And it's just a matter of acknowledging, realizing, and putting it into practice. Right? Put your faith like a shield out in front of you always when you're in life's circumstances. Ask yourself, how do I trust the Lord here and now? Seek your fighting words. Here's one, as I mentioned earlier, there's a promise here in Ephesians 6, 16, with which you can, with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. All of them. Look what 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Did you guys hear that? Everyone who was born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What does it say? Like that's such a great verse. That's one that we got to sow in our heart that we might not sin against him. Because we're told in James that if you know the good you ought to do and don't do it, that is sin for you. Right? So like we got, we got to walk in the word and let, it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith in what? In him. In his word. In his faithfulness. Verse 5 goes on and says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's how we overcome the patterns of this world. And we know their, their author, their, the prince of this air. But what are these fiery darts? And what are their target? So I believe their target is our hearts and minds, right? I believe that's what these fiery darts, and what are, what are they? And I'm, this isn't exhaustive, but, but you know as well as I do, lies, doubts, fear. Faith overcomes fear. We know that. Temptation, hateful thoughts about others. Like, what's the origin of that thought? And that, that, there's the challenge, right? If we acknowledge that these are fiery darts, what does faith have to say about this? How, what is Christ's example here? How do I walk in, in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord? How do I hold my shield up in this, in this moment? And I think it's interesting that there can be a ton, I mean, it says fiery darts, plural, right? So there's all kinds of darts, but there's only one antidote. Faith. Isn't that good news? But he solicits our nature. I mentioned this earlier, James 1, 4, 1, it says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You want and you do not get, so you murder, you strive. You know, this is, you, 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 you want, but you don't ask. And you have not because you ask not. And then when you ask, this is what it goes on to say, you ask with poor motives to spend it on your own pleasure. This is what your prayer life looks like. 
says, do not think you will receive anything from God. Double-minded in that moment. So what about the helmet of salvation? Well, we see it in the garden. Our enemy attacks our thoughts, right? That's what the enemy went after in his conversation with Eve, right? That's what he's, that's his MO. The helmet is for protection for our head, specifically our mind. Guys, can, can I be real practical here? Like, how is salvation a helmet for the saint? See, are there implications of salvation? Doesn't the New Testament like dig out all these glorious attributes or characteristics of the implications of salvation? Right? And when we are firm in understanding what we have in Christ, it guards our mind. It guards our mind. That, that's what we're being told here. The helmet is for protection of the head or the mind. As Roman 8, remi- Roman 8 reminds us, we need to yield our minds to the Spirit or to the Lord and think as he thinks. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And when the Lord is in control of our thoughts, the enemy then is rendered powerless. The opportune time is removed and we resist. Is your thinking under his lordship? That's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. Does he get to determine the outcome of our thoughts? Now, I mean, you ever, had, you ever have stray thoughts that you're like, oh my gosh, that's, def- that's not my thought. <laughs> you know, like you have, cra- you have crazy thoughts, right? But we don't have to, we, we can take those captive. We don't have to own them. We don't obviously have to, to, to walk them out. We can, we can allow salvation and its implications to be our helmet, helmet. Do you measure every thought to the truth of your salvation? That's really what we're getting at here. That's the point. In Philippians 4.8, it says, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Like there's a filter here. The ESV puts it this way. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if, if there is anything worth of, worthy of praise, think about these things. So we see this as kind of a filter of, okay, you know, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This, this, th- does, does this thought qualify to be embraced, to be, to be lived out? Would that kind of thinking help us walk in victory? Wouldn't it? Would that kind of thinking help us to walk in victory and to avoid some really destructive paths? And, and poor thinking, stinking thinking about maybe others. The very aim of the gospel in loving. Do you know that, do you know what the New Testament teaches about salvation? Do you know? If you do, and you know the the benefits of our salvation that are promised to us in the New Testament, and it's full, now you're wearing the helmet of salvation. Does that make sense? Because now you're able to fight and say, no, that's not true. That's a lie. That, that, you know, like, isn't it, is it, you ever been lied to? (laughs) When it comes to, we're being lied to all the time, but like, have you ever been lied to? But how do you distinguish truth from a lie? the truth sets you free, right? You got to know it. And if you know it, it'll liberate you from the lies. And let me promise you this, because I didn't have time to unpack this for this morning, but the New Testament is filled with implications of your salvation. And knowing that guards your thinking and protects you from a a, a really terrible... So, so what I challenge you to do, read your Bibles, dwell. Go get involved in Bible studies. If you don't know, get around people that do or at least like share the, the opportunity to grow in his word. What about the sword of the spirit? The word of God. Well, I think the most clarifying verse on this is in Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and active. Do you know what that means? It has its own power. It's alive. And by the way, it's, 
It's the sword of the spirit. It's not the sword of the saint. We're not meant to use God's word to go around and, hey, did you read that one? Did you hear what he said? You know, like the, the challenge is, is, is to let it, let it penetrate our hearts. Let it change our motives and intentions and thoughts. Right? That's, that's the power of God's word. Is that, and that's how we, we, we understand this, the salvation helmet, but also we understand that, that we have a spirit that is the author of this word, no matter who penned it. And he is ready to wield that to perfection on, on our behalf in victory. And so, as many have said over the years, man, all we need to do is just let God's word fight the battle for us. It's the sword of the spirit, right? Sharper, we're told it's sharper than any two-edged or double-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit. You see what that does? It continues to do the work of separating us from our, from our nature, right? The joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Look, we don't even know our own hearts, but God's word helps us to diagnose that, that issue, that problem, that, you ever been confronted by God's word? I hope today, yesterday, constantly, right? Because what it's doing is, it is, it is showing us our error. It is revealing our, our poor motives because we're so good at rationalizing and justifying ourselves and our sin. And God's word comes in and brings conviction and counsel and then comfort and, and ministers and, and moves in us to show us his, his plan, his pattern, his purpose. We often hear people say that they were cut to the heart by God's word. I give you one example in Acts 2.37. It says, now when they heard this, this is Peter's Pentecostal spirit-filled message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, this is Thousands of people, but this is the interjection that is stated. Brothers, what shall we do? And what is Peter's answer? Repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness of your sins. Right? Like, this is, this is what the cross has done for us. We can, we can actually agree with God that I messed up. That's not a license to sin. That is a, a liberty to a, to a freedom for joyful obedience a love relationship with the living God. We now know his presence. We know his heart and intentions that it's not to judge us. It's to liberate, set us free so that we might walk with him and be allies and instruments in this world. This is what he wants to do. Peter discovered what sword Jesus was actually talking about in the garden now, doesn't he? <laughs> was there a greater effect when, Je when Peter pulls a sword out, cuts off Malchus's ear? And Jesus kind of rebukes him in that moment, not kind of, he does, heals him. Then when he unleashes the sword of the spirit here at Pentecost and 3,000 are added to the church, do you see the difference? And here's what I want to point out. When we trust that the sword of the spirit is powerful and effective to move us in the direction that God has and use us to, to accomplish his purpose, what are you trusting in, his word or yours? His thoughts or yours? His will or yours? Right? And, and do you believe that God's word? And if we do believe that, man, we just want to fill our minds and hearts with it, right? Blesses him who meditates on, in God's word because he delights in it day and night, right? He'll be prosperous and successful in all that he does. This is a key thought. This, this sword is more like a scalpel if we think about it. Its intention is to heal, not to hurt. That, that's the goal that, that God has with, with, the, with the work. The sword of the Spirit is meant to cut to the thoughts and intentions in order to heal us, not to harm us. When you're filled with conviction, please understand that's a gift to move you in a different direction. That's what repentance is. Away from this and, 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 and to him. And that's what the word of God is always doing is, is revealing the heart of God. Let's remember Jesus' example of fighting words. Let's always speak the truth in love. Always. Do you know, and my question and challenge is, do you know, and what I mean by that, are you intimate with 
the sword of the Spirit. Like, we've been given, like, be still and I will fight for you. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Entrust yourself to a faithful creator who judges justly. Can we just, can we just leave vengeance and revenge and, and getting our way so that we could say, you know, God, I'm going to trust that your word works. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in the power of your Holy Spirit to make that an, an active, powerful work in my life and the lives of those around me. I, I, I close with this thought because after we've dug into this passage for three and four and a half weeks, man, the, the Lord just lit this up for me this week. I mean, because you, you're trying so hard. And please, if, if you've kind of started thinking about lunch for a moment, come back for just a moment because I don't want you to miss this, okay? So like, when you start thinking about like armor and you know helmets and breastplates and swords and shields and, and shoes with tacks and you know, all, all of that stuff, like sometimes we can, we can miss the point, right? Like this, this is not, we're told that this is not earthly like armor, like that there's a, they're using that as an illustration to help us understand what we have and how to use it and, and that we're in a fight. But when you boil all this down, what we're actually called to put on is him. What we're, what we're actually being told, and I'm going to point this out by going back to, this is probably what Paul had in mind. Have you read Isaiah recently? I, I think the word of God is just miraculous. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah lived 732 years before the cross, right? Before Jesus' birth. So, I mean, this is a long time before. And the book, how many books in the Bible? How many books in Isaiah? 66. Now, how many books in the Old Testament? 39. How many books in the New Testament? Quick math. 27, right? Do you know, so when, when, does, the, when does the new covenant come in? Basically book 40, right? If you ever read Isaiah, don't miss this. The moment you move all of, to, 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 to chapter 39 is all about just the, you know, the ways that the, 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 that the nation of Israel has failed God and, and, and what's coming and all of that, right? Do you know right at the beginning of chapter 40, it moves into the messianic promises. Coincidence? You're kidding me? Right? And starts to unpack all the wonder. And, and in chapter 59, listen to what this says. He, now if you, I'm going to save you the context here. He has been taught, is, is, is the coming Messiah. We know Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Right? The one that died and rose again. He didn't, he laid down his life and took it up again. Right? But, but this is what it says. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And it goes on. Guys, what we're actually being told to put on yet again here in the New Testament is Jesus. That's what all of these factors and elements are. It's putting on Christ. It's putting on everything that Jesus, the robe of righteousness. It's, it's putting on everything that we've been given through the gift of salvation and Christ. Let me, let me make my point. Jesus is the whole armor, right? He is the truth. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our righteousness. He who had no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. These are all in the notes if you want to look them up. Uh, he, is our, he is who we have faith in. Galatians 2.20, for uh, I have been crucified with Christ that I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live my life, what? In the Son of God, Right? So faith, salvation, Luke 2.30. I mean, it's right there. He is the word that became flesh, John 14, John 1.14, John 1.1, right? Like he is the word. What we're being told yet again in this beautiful illustration that is so like unique to Ephesus is that the armor is Christ. 
He, all of the things that we have have been portioned to us because, and I finish with this verse just to make that point clear. Romans 13, 12 to 14, listen to what this says. The night is far gone. And this is talking about all the, all, like our, our past life, all the, 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 the things that are done under the car, cover of darkness, all the, the things that were done uh, before light himself came to shine and illuminate our life and make us the light of the world. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Hmm. Let us walk properly as in the day, daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensualities, um, not in quarreling or jealousy. Now listen to what it says in verse 14. But put on what? The Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There it is. It's, we, we, we kind of just get through all of the complication of the, of the armor to really understand the, the emphasis here is that we're called to put on everything that Christ has purchased us to and for. And when we don't walk in his word, when we don't walk in his will and his way, when we don't, when we don't remember that we are, we are the righteousness of God and that this has been imputed to us, like, let me, let me finish with one practical thought. Like, has the enemy ever, you ever done something you shouldn't have done and the enemy is telling you, you're not righteous? I'm ashamed of you. Like, you know, because he either wants to boast us up to pride or just, you know, tear us down to, to say that we're nothing, right? Like, like and, and the gospel speaks to both of those things, right? Humility and, and then he exalts us, you know. But like, what I'm saying is, is that like when we know that the righteousness that is imputed to us was not something that we did for ourselves, that we earned, it was a gift given to us when we just put our faith and confidence in him alone, doesn't that overcome that lie that's spoken to us in that moment? Doesn't that, doesn't that help us not, to, not to, to run to the cross yet again for the mercy that it, it promises? See, the truth sets us free. All of these, these elements of the, of the armor is really ultimately meant to point us to Christ, as everything does, right? That, that we are clothed in, in righteousness. We are clothed in the robe. We're clothed in him so that when God sees he, him, he sees, sees us, sees him, he sees him, sees us. Like that we may be one is, the, yes, all of that. So put on Christ. We're told that in other places. Put him on, surrender to him. If you, if you have not trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, can I just be real? I know Here's the thing. We, we think that it's got to be more complicated than it is. But let me tell you what it is. It's simple childlike faith that just says, I believe. I believe that you are the God of the universe, Jesus. I believe that you're the son of God, the one that was there when life began, the, the one that died and rose again. I believe. And, and I'm going to put my trust, my life in your hands, and I'm going to walk with you and for you. And when, when that's the truth of our hearts, when we repent of our sins and acknowledge that what he says is right is right and whether we like it or not and we choose to go his way and not our way and by doing so declare him Lord he puts his spirit in us to now fix us it's a work of the process of making us like himself and he, he makes us new in that moment. He gives us a spirit to get, it, to get the finished work done. Is God good? So good. Guys, walk in what God has, what Jesus has purchased for us. Walk in it. Put it on. Take it up. Right? Let it, let it become practical reality and you will find that it is, he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for you. God, we thank you for you. We thank you for your heart and your intention, your purpose, your plan, your pursuit, that it was your pleasure, Lord Jesus, to obey your Father and for the joy set before you to rescue us from 
a separated death experience and to bring us back to life. Thank you for all that you've imparted to us. Help us to put it on, to utilize it, to walk in it, to live the victorious life that you've purchased for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.